What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 51 of the Deep Ball Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Palillo, joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lickman. And Core, week 14, it's in the books. We continue to fly through these weeks, and I'm excited to get into this. Yeah, I mean, the season, I don't know. I mean, every season feels like like it just started, then you blink, and we're already in week, uh, we're already in week 15. So, yeah, I mean, another week to, to recap football and definitely um, – ready to get into it yeah so we'll start with some of the statement wins this week I think that there were a couple teams if you ask me had some performances that definitely a lie opening and you're like all right like they warrant some attention here the first one I will start with is the Kansas City Chiefs I mean Las Vegas Raiders last year they played the Chiefs pretty tough and the Chiefs team that went 14 and 2 in the regular season and they played all their backups in week 17 so really lost one regular season game last year in the regular season that they really played for played in that was to the Vegas Raiders, right? Then the, one of the closest games that they played also was on Sunday night against the Raiders. The Chiefs had a late comeback in this game. This year, completely different story. I mean, the Raiders got blown out by them at home a couple weeks earlier. Then this week, they're dancing on the logo, stomping on it before the game. And the Kansas City Chiefs opening defensive possession, take a fumble back for a touchdown. And then just before halftime score, a touchdown to make it 35 nothing. I mean, it was unbelievable the beatdown that they put on the Vegas Raiders this week. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders, I mean, I, I think they're kind of, like we used to do that down bad segment. I mean, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're down bad. I mean, how are you going to stomp on the logo then first offensive play, just like, bang, you're down 7 nothing, 23-yard fumble recovery touchdown. Like, I don't know, it's just not going to work. And then I saw, I saw a bunch of the Chief players are like, chirping the Raiders after the game the only right reason I don't think the only recognizable guy I knew was like Byron Pringle it's just a bunch of like backups on the Chiefs just like clowning the Raiders honestly pretty funny but yeah I mean this game obviously was never really close what was it like 38 to 3 at halftime I think or 35 to 3 like this game just was never really close I guess the Chiefs learned from what happened last year against um the Raiders where it seemed like the Raiders could not really stop the Chiefs, but, I mean, they were able to score on them. I mean, this year, it's just been two straight blowouts. And, yeah, I mean, the Chiefs, we were uh, we were saying earlier, like, a few weeks ago, maybe the Chiefs are, are done. Like, they're past their prime, but, I don't know, definitely starting to find themselves. I mean, Mahomes, 20 for 24, just a calm day at the office. Like, didn't have to do too much. And, yeah, I mean, this Kansas City Chiefs team definitely as dangerous as anyone in the AFC now, which, honestly... It's not a good sign for um, the rest of the AFC, in my opinion. Yeah, with the AFC, with so many of these teams being seven, eight, nine win teams. I mean, Kansas City's right at the top, tied with Tennessee, tied with New England with nine wins. And, I mean, yeah, just to think, I mean, what, they won their last six straight games. They were three and four, and people were really starting to worry that Kansas City was a fluke. You know what I mean? They're not going to be able to regain the success they've had the past couple of years. I mean, that was – I'd love to see the freezing cold takes on that right now. But, yeah, Mahomes has kind of found it. He's been unbelievable, really, since, obviously, they started winning. You know what I mean? It goes with him, clearly, the whole offense. And what I think what's crazy about it is that, like, this past week, right, you look at the box score and you look at some of the things, like, the guys on the offensive side of the ball, like, it wasn't that it was all Tyree Kill going for 150 yards. It wasn't Travis Kelsey having a good day. I mean, Kelsey and Hill combined for just about 100 yards in this game, but neither of them scored a touchdown, and they supposed to put up 48 points. You know what I mean? It just seems like they're firing on all the right cylinders everybody's contributing their defense seems to have improved a little bit it seems like steve spagnolo their defensive coordinator uh it seems like every single year it's the same thing you know what i mean at the beginning of the year you're like oh how does this guy like have a job there and then towards the middle and end of the season they start really getting into the groove i know the year that they won the super bowl down the stretch their defense was unreal in the regular season so uh yeah their defense has turned it up really in this on on this winning streak and of course obviously like I said, they go with Patrick Mahomes. So the Chiefs are definitely dangerous in the AFC core. Do you think they right now are the team to beat, though, in the AFC? Yeah, I mean, Peo, I mean, I want to say it's the Patriots, but I mean, I think the Chiefs winning six games in a row, um, representing the AFC in the Super Bowl for two straight years and almost three, I think you got to say the Chiefs right now are the team to beat until New England beat them, I, I have to say. I think right now, Kansas City Chiefs proven they're still the team to beat in the AFC. 
Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it almost seems like they have they don't have a reason right now to have to give it to somebody else. I mean, they almost gave they almost gave you that when they were three and four and stuff like that. But they've definitely kind of seeded all the doubters and uh, put them to sleep. I think that right now, if you had to say to a lot of people will tell you who's the best team in the AFC, they're probably going with the Kansas City Chiefs. They just have, if you ask me to, more firepower than the New England Patriots. I'd probably, again, I would agree with you. I'd, t- I'd side with the Kansas City Chiefs as well. Core, we'll go to another big win if you ask me. This one was on Monday night in Arizona. The NFC West division title was basically all but on the line with the Rams being two games behind Arizona already dropping an earlier game in the series. If the Rams would have lost this game, probably not going to be able to catch the Cardinals. But the Rams, they go down to Arizona and they get a huge win. In a game, like I said, that they absolutely had to have 30 to 23. They couldn't, Kyler Murray couldn't get that let the last second heroics to uh, succeed. And not, not another Hail Murray as he had last year against the Buffalo Bills. But yeah, listen, this was a Rams team that I've been very high on from day one. I think they are a very good football team and they finally put together a real good game. And whereas the past couple of weeks, you know what I mean? Yes, they, they got that get right game last week against Jacksonville, but they really hadn't beaten anybody in the past couple of weeks and games that like, you want to know, like if they're a Super Bowl team, which this team has Super Bowl aspirations. You need to beat teams like the Titans, and you need to beat teams like the Packers, even and the 49ers as well, who are on a tear right now. So you know what I mean? They're, they're drop those games against those types of teams. So it's like you got to look yourself in the mirror right now and tell you like what type of team do you want to be when you beat the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona? That's a statement win. Good job for the Los Angeles Rams, and they seem to be back on track to where they want to be. Yeah, for sure. I think. Um... The, I, I, I honestly on this podcast like last week I was I, I wasn't saying the Rams aren't capable of beating top teams in the NFL because you look at their roster even with Jalen Ramsey not playing in this game obviously this team is still like on paper probably the most talented uh, all around team in the NFL they just haven't really beaten that good teams and you all you go to Arizona on Monday night a divisional opponent is definitely a statement win. And they were able to get it. I think, obviously, that big play um, early in the game. Uh, Cardinals have first and goal. Kyler Murray throws. It was like deflected um, interception. And since that, um, the Rams really didn't look back. Kind of were not really. They kind of had their way on offense. I mean, Sonny Michelle did pretty well, obviously. Matthew Stafford. I mean, Cooper Cup is honestly, the guy is just unreal. Every single game, it's just a hundred plus yards and so many catches. Like he, I don't know. His stats are just insane. Obviously it looks like Odell kind of finding himself back. I'm not going to say he's prime Odell, but certainly is effective. Caught another touchdown this week. So yeah, I honestly think the Rams winning this game, definitely a big, big game to get back on track. And I think the Rams could like string together another strong performance in week 15 i know it's against seattle but home against seattle i think they can put together another strong performance i'll officially be like back back on the on the rams bandwagon because for sure this is a this is a good win in arizona yeah i'm glad you mentioned that interception that they had early on in the first quarter because i mean the game goes completely a different way if arizona goes up 10 nothing and then doubt starts creeping in to the Rams. But yeah, they get that pick, then they go on a nice touchdown drive, completely changes the game. They got a pick also early at a halftime, too, which got them to go up two scores. And uh, yeah, they didn't, obviously, like you said, didn't look back in that one. I thought Stafford was tremendous in this game, that throw that he made as well to Van Jefferson for the touchdown was on the money. And of course, you mentioned Cooper Cup. I mean, Cooper Cup should definitely get Offensive Player of the Year votes. If not, if Jonathan Taylor, like, I mean, honestly, I'd love to see them go like head to head for the award. I'm curious to see which way the voters are going to side. Be- because these guys are both more than qualified for this. Uh, Cup, a revelation what he's been able to do with Matthew Stafford. I even think Sean McVay couldn't have imagined Cup having this much success. But Robert Woods went down, obviously. Odell Beckham came in. And OBJ, yeah, probably his best game that I've seen him play in a long time, if you ask me. You could argue that was one of his best games, honestly, in the past since he left the Giants. But he he even got into the end zone, so good for him. And, uh, of course, the Los Angeles Rams defense, they're good. And without Jalen Ramsey, too, they're still able to put a good performance on film against the Arizona Cardinals. So good win for the Rams core. I mean, I know, like you even mentioned, you're a little higher on the Arizona Cardinals. And I know you want that win next week for the Rams out of against Seattle to really, like, solidify them in your mind. But uh, who do you think what's, who do you think ends up running down the stretch away with this division? See, I'm still going to ride with uh, the Cardinals to to get this, to take home the division. I don't know what's to go with the Cardinals. I know 
they're undefeated on the road and um unlike they've lost a few games at home. I mean, started off what was it, eight and one or eight no, I think. I'm not sure, but since then, like they've kind of been slumping. I know they got um, the schedule is not exactly easy. They do play the Lions, then the Colts and the Cowboys, those are two tough games. But I don't know. I'm I'm gonna stick with the Cardinals. I mean, I picked them to win the division before the year. I don't know. I think they hold them off. Kyler Murray, I mean, he he's got a lot of magic in him. I know he had like one insane play. He was like running around, fed like mm-hmm. D Hop. No, wait, was he D Hop or AJ Green? I don't know. I mean, like it's just a really good play. I mean, he makes a lot of those plays. I'm I'm staying with the Cardinals. But you tell me who's more dangerous in the playoffs. I'm gonna say the Los Angeles Rams. But to win the division, I think the I think the Cardinals can hold them off. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. I mean, the Rams obviously have a pretty tough schedule down the stretch as well. They put their after this week against Seattle, they go to Minnesota to play the Vikings, to Baltimore to play the Ravens, finish up at home against the 49ers. Definitely not a gimme game in there. But you're right, dude. That throw that Kyler Murray made, uh, yeah, it was like he's rolling out like towards the right sideline and kind of just like flicks it or whatever. That was unbelievable. I think I think it was AJ Green too. AJ Green kind of having a career resurgence a little bit. After last year, you really need like a peep out of him. He's been pretty good. And I mean, with DeAndre Hopkins going down, it looks like for the rest of the regular season, Arizona, they have a couple capable guys there, but AJ Green definitely looks to take more of the focal role now in the offense. I get, I bet Rondell Moore too will get a little bit more involved. Moving on to our next topic, Court, we're going to talk about a couple of games that we saw on Sunday, actually both on the four o'clock slate too, that went de- right down to the wire. Both these games went into overtime. We'll first talk about probably what many people will call, like we'll call it the game of the week between the Buffalo Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Bucs. They got up early in this game. The Bills did not shy away, though. They came back late, were held to a field goal late to force it to send it to overtime. And then in overtime, Tom Brady throws, which is one of the craziest things that I've heard is like first game winning touchdown in overtime in about like 18 years or something like that. The guy's so good that he doesn't even need overtime. It was a 700 touchdown pass. So good for Brady, good for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And on the Buffalo Bills sides of things, they could have sat down and died in this game, but they didn't. They came all the way back and uh, just a little bit short, but definitely a lot of positives if you, if you ask me for Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, first off, let's just say like Bucks minus three and a half betters honestly had to have just been going nuts when Bashard Perriman is, uh, is running into the end zone because that would have been a tough beat. But yeah, I mean, the Bills in this one honestly text you like mid-game saying like doubting the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks obviously pulled it out, but if I'm if I'm the Bills right now, I know I lost this game, but I'm honestly like feeling pretty good about myself cuz like like you said, it was 24 to 3, easily could go down, lose this game, not make it close, but they they come all the way back. I honestly have a chance of winning the game like no nah, I mean you would have gave Brady another chance he really would have like 20 20 seconds but they get into uh, inside the 10 forced to kick a field goal uh yeah I mean honestly just a really good game potential you could say like a potential Super Bowl match you never know I mean I, I put the Bills in that tier even though they kind of have not been winning games but yeah I mean Tom Brady obviously the GOAT is just a really good game but yeah I mean from the Bills Josh Allen Obviously, um, fought down the end, rushing once again, leading rusher for the Bills, throwing the ball. He's just he's an unreal talent. So I don't know. I expect the Bills to come out this week against the Panthers and just punch them in the mouth. That's basically what I expect. So I don't know. Obviously, like a good game between two of the top teams in each conference. And obviously, yeah, the GOAT comes out on top. But yeah, I think the narrative takeaways from the Bills. I'm honestly like this is a good loss. Just to sh- you showed some fight and just build off that. That's basically it. Yeah, listen, there's no consolation prize. You know what I mean? The Bills don't get a trophy for coming back in this one. But I mean, at least they should feel good about it. You're 100 percent right in that sense. I mean, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, if you ask me, is the best team in football right now with the MVP winner at quarterback in Tom Brady. It's unbelievable what he's able to do again. Another 350 plus yards in the air, two touchdowns, obviously that game winner to Brashad Perryman and stuff like that. But yeah, the Buffalo Bills, I mean, just a lot of the same problems, if you ask me, last year that they had have just continued to follow over. Yes, their defense got a little better, but Corey, they still refused to run the football with their backs. I mean, they didn't hand the ball off once in the first half. The only rushes that they had were Josh Allen's. Uh, again, Josh Allen, yes, he ran for over 100 yards in this game, but a little banged up at the end of the game too. I mean, 
it, there's just a lot that he has to brunt in this offense and a lot that he has to take on and stuff like that. So if you're the Buffalo Bills, you got to try to ease the load on Josh Allen. Yes, in the playoffs, I get that. Like, you know what I mean? At, at that point, then it's like, all right, yeah. If you really – like, you need to win the game, obviously do whatever it takes at that point. You're not really, like, as concerned with Josh Allen's health. But, like, we're in week week 14, right? Like, in a week 14 game, do you really want Josh Allen – carrying the ball that much and stuff like that when you're trying to make a Super Bowl run. I'm not entirely sure. I think the Buffalo Bills, I, I agree with you. I think that this week they're going to kind of punch the Carolina Panthers in the, in the mouth. There's a big spot for them to get right in preparation for the Week 16 matchup against the New England Patriots. Because, listen, the Buffalo Bills are 7-6 and six in the AFC. I think they're just as talented of a team as anybody. But, I mean, you look at the standings in the AFC, there are a lot of seven-win teams, and they're looking above to eight and nine win teams. So Buffalo has to do something to separate themselves and at least make sure they get into the playoffs. So they got to fix their flaws. And hopefully, yes, I think this team is a playoff team. They ultimately will be there. But at the end of the day, got to win the games and actually earn your spot there. So hopefully for they, they can do that. And on the, on the other side, like we said, for Tampa Bay, I think they just continue to roll. This is a good Buffalo team, as we've just been saying. And of course, they end up being victorious. I mean, Tom Brady's what, like 33 and three now against the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that's just insane. Hats off to him and uh, this Tampa Bay team, I think, could be on their way to a uh, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think the, the Bucks definitely poised to potentially run it back in the NFC. Go get Brady another ring. Definitely, um, definitely all in there. I know that's all Tom Brady. Definitely just thinking about get me to the playoffs. Let me run this back. Bring another Super Bowl ring to Tampa Bay, I think. Yeah, I mean Tom Brady at this age. At this age, I don't know. Like, like when do you think Tom Brady? Do you think this guy retires before the age of fifty or not? I mean, he's, I'm, I'm oh. done guessing. He, he can play. He can play whenever he wants to. He can play when he's sixty. I, I think at this point. Well, it's kind of like LeBron in the NBA. I mean, like they're both. I mean, yeah. I mean, LeBron's almost thirty-seven and he's not really declining at all. And Brady casually just having MVP season at forty-four. The more you think of it, just it's just pretty unreal. I mean, yeah, I, I would not be surprised this guy plays until 50. I don't know. He's just – his arm looks better than ever. He's just – I don't know. As long as he stays in um, Tampa Bay with good weapons, good old line, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how this guy – I think this guy plays till he's 50. I, I don't know. I think he definitely does. Yeah, I, tr- I truly believe that Tom Brady can make it to 50. But I, honestly, I, I don't – I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it. I won't say. It. What I will say is this: I don't think Tom Brady, if you ask me, is the type of guy to like try to get to 50 just to say that he played until he's 50. You know what I mean? Tom Brady's gonna go out on top. Tom Brady's not gonna like oh, you know. st- stick around just to stick. You know what I mean? Just to keep playing. Like you know what I mean? Like when he thinks that he can't be like competing for an MVP every year, then he's going to take himself out of it, which is absurd. You know I mean, you could probably even get, you could probably squeeze a couple extra years out of him. I mean, look at the quarterbacks. Sometimes you see them at the end of their career having to get like overcompensated for stuff like that and their teams and stuff, the way that they're playing and stuff. And you hide a quarterback there, but I mean, Brady is literally the focal point, obviously, but I mean, he's going to win the MVP. It, it's crazy. So, uh, I mean, the guys, they get four MVPs and your fourth one's at age 44 unbelievable potentially for what Tom Brady could do if he holds on the rest of the way. Core, there was another game, like I said, though, that went to overtime down the stretch on that four o'clock slate. And it was the 49ers getting a big win over the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals, they showed some fight. Two fourth quarter touchdowns by both both of them by Jamar Chase weren't enough uh, to win. Ultimately, they get to overtime. The Bengals kick a field goal, but Brandon Ayuk scores the game winning touchdown from Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, how have I not mentioned George Kittle's name yet in this one? 13 catches, 151 yards, and a touchdown. The guy, when he's on the field and he's healthy, I will say he's the best tight end in football. What he can do all around from the tight end position, blocking, and then he's literally the focal point of that offense. They go with him. It's unbelievable the the job that this guy does. And the 49ers, if you ask me, they're seven and six again, but they're clicking on all the right cylinders. It seems like they're trying to find that 2019 magic, and they kind of. Almost had so a big win for the 49ers in this one. Yeah, I mean, this is a big game between um, two teams in their obviously respective conferences. The NFC comes out on top, and yeah, I mean, pay. I mean, George Kittle, like all around tight ends, I think definitely has like he's definitely like the best all around tight end when it comes to blocking and pass catching because as a blocker, he, he is he's obviously the best tight end. I mean, just his ability, obviously, like. Last 
what, like two weeks. I mean, he's just been he's been Jimmy G's top guy, and he's been an absolute weapon in the passing game. So, I mean, this guy is an absolute stud. Um, when he's when he's involved in this offense, this team is definitely a lot better. But yeah, I mean, the Bengals also in this one. Well, they're kind of the thing about the Bengals seems like they got it. Like they're just not getting off to really good starts. Like they're putting themselves in holes. Like you're down 17, six at half. Obviously that's a manageable comeback to come back from, but to put yourself in an 11 point hole against a good team, not that easy last week. Also put themselves in a home in a hole against a good chargers team. Like these are two good teams at home. Kind of tough. They did make um, runs in both of them. But I don't know. It's a little bit too late. I thought the um, Bengals easily could have had this this game when you get all the way down first and goal. I mean, what am I saying? First goal, first and like ten down in uh, San Francisco territory, and they they tried getting Joe Mixon involved a lot, and then Joe Burrow got sacked. I think on third down. I don't know. I think I'm not gonna say I'm a professional play caller, but I don't know. I think maybe on second down, you just try to throw the ball. Maybe. Maybe I see. I'm not the offensive coordinator, but I don't know. I think I think Joe Mixon's obviously had a really good season, but I think you put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands, try to go win the game. Because I mean, to run the ball two straight downs, I mean Joe Mixon's good, but he's not Derrick Henry. So I don't know. I'm I'm just thinking, put the ball maybe in Joe Burrow's hands, give him a shot to go win that game. I know he got sacked on third down. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But yeah, it's a good win for the 49ers, and yeah, both these teams still chilling in the playoff picture in both their conferences. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of great points in there, Corey. I agree with you in the sense that Joe Burrow was kind of the guy who got you there, so you know what I mean? Don't kind of take the ball out of his hands when you're that close. And, yeah, it's never a good sign if you ask me with a team like that. They come all the way back, and then you have to kind of settle for a field goal in overtime. Like, it almost seemed like the momentum was all – it was all Cincinnati's way. Like, go just finish the job right there. But hats off to San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco has shown this year that they can win in a lot of different ways. Early on in the year, it was feeding Debo Samuel. Then it was all Elijah Mitchell at uh, the running back position. Oh, wait, Elijah Mitchell's out. Oh, we'll throw Debo Samuel a little bit there in the backfield. But wait, if Debo's in the backfield, who are we going to throw to? Oh, no problem. George Kittle takes over. It's unbelievable. It's like a next man up thing over there. They do a very good job of that. That's why I think this San Francisco team is a lot more dangerous than their 7-6 and six record may show you. For Cincinnati, you're right. It's a lot of slow starts. For them, they have to get back on the right track. You mentioned they're kind of in the playoff picture at 7-6, and six, but we mentioned all episode, really, and for the past month, it seems like that the AFC, like teams just have to start separating them from themselves in order to get to the playoffs and earn a spot there. I mean, two back-to-back weeks against good teams. Yes, the Chargers and the Bengals. They got the Broncos this week, another 7-6 and six team. Going to be a tough place to play in Denver, but if you want to be a playoff team like Cincinnati hopes to be this year, have to have that game so definitely a lot of pressure if you ask me on Cincinnati to win this week core let's talk about we've talked about a bunch of playoff teams so far in this episode but let's talk about some teams kind of on the other side of the spectrum teams that um maybe haven't been doing so hot this year and potentially could be um could be looking for a new head coach I think that the first spot that we really want to mention is the Jacksonville Jaguars and the mess that they've kind of endured over the past really month and a half right now what's going on with them uh they got blown out two weeks ago by the Los Angeles Rams. And then this past week, 20 to nothing loss against the Tennessee Titans. Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions in this one. Not all of them on him. I know LaVisca Chanel got one that tipped right off his hands. I mean, kind of selling your quarterback out the drive. But a, a lot of bad rumors coming out of Jacksonville. A lot of bad reports with Urban Meyer and his disconnect with his coaches and his players. Uh, definitely Urban. A lot of pressure on him coming to the NFL. People were curious how he would adapt to coaching coach a different, different style lock of locker room. You know what I mean? A lot of different attitudes there than he dealt with in Ohio State or at Florida. And, uh, yeah, so far it's just been pretty ugly for Jacksonville. And, it, I mean, Urban Meyer's seat, if you ask me, is as warm as anybody's in the NFL, even though he's only been coaching for 13 games. Yeah, I mean – I, I don't expect to see Urban Meyer as um the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars next year. Um, not even just like stuff that's gone on with him and his players, but I mean, if you t- I know it's not all on Trevor Lawrence and it's not all on Urban Meyer, but like Trevor Lawrence supposed to be one of the best pure talents out of college in a, like a long time. And yeah, I mean, the Jaguars – Obviously, it's not an easy place to be the quarterback. I mean, Gardner Minshew 
definitely did a way better job than what Trevor Lawrence is doing right now. And I don't think he's better quarterback by any means. I don't know. I think Trevor Lawrence is, he's, I would say failure this year. I mean, he's got 14 interceptions and only nine touchdowns on the year. I think that's also a thing from the front office looking. Obviously, it's not on Urban Meyer, like all on Urban Meyer, but I think with the team's failure, Trevor Lawrence's failures, and just like all the rumors that's come out about him and like connections with his players and stuff like that, like I, I just don't see how Urban Meyer sticks around. For another year, I don't know what his future is, but yeah, I mean, I just think Urban Meyer's on the extreme hot seat, in my opinion. Yeah, I think one of the worst things sometimes that can happen to a rookie quarterback, right, is there's a lot of change around him because then you never really, you can never pin it down to, oh, maybe if he finally had a little bit of consistency with the play calling or some consistency with his head coach and his offensive coordinator, then maybe he would have had a chance to succeed all the time. You see a lot of young quarterbacks struggle in different systems and stuff like that. So, yeah, the argument could be like keep Urban Meyer there another year and stuff like that to help Trevor Lawrence's development. But, again, you you say it like – Listen, no no Jacksonville Jaguar fan was expecting this team to contend for a playoff spot this year. They wanted to see growth out of Trevor Lawrence. They wanted to see at least some a glimpse of what the future could potentially be. If you ask me, Trevor Lawrence has been set up to fail from day one. Yes, they don't have a lot of talent on that roster, but there's still so many other ways that you could help them out. You could scheme people open. There's been a disconnect clearly between – uh, Urban Meyer and some of the other coaches on that staff. I mean, even if you look at this past game, James Robinson is probably your best offensive skill player. From day one, Urban Meyer has just not liked James Robinson at all. I mean, he drafted ETN in the first round. That was a clear sign about that. And then you give him the ball six times this game. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not maybe the biggest James Robinson fan out there. I think that uh, he gets maybe a little too much love, but at, from by all means, he's an undrafted guy who played absolutely great last year. You know what I mean? He's one of the best players right now in the Jacksonville Jaguars roster. Get him the football more. I don't understand. And then you see Marvin Jones. You hear about him storming out of practice. That's just not a good thing at all. You want to build a culture when you're a first-year head coach there. And yes, for Urban Meyer, I always said that it would take a while, and it's it's kind of like conflicted with me because I've always been like with Urban that like – if you know how to win, like like winning like carries over into different things. You know what I mean? Like there's just certain there's just that certain attitude of winning and stuff like that. So I would I didn't, I didn't want maybe going into the year, I would have said that don't fire Urban Meyer after the like the first season, no matter how bad it is. But I'm kind of taking back that that thought almost with me and kind of just like I don't, like you got to show some promise. Like you can't take five steps backward, even if Urban Meyer like you know you you got to take at least a couple steps forward and like. You're just not getting them. And unfortunately, when you have a golden ticket like Trevor Lawrence there, you cannot, like, ruin him. And, it, like, if you're the Jaguars, it's almost like you can't waste another year with this. So I would not be surprised to see Urban Meyer looking for new employment come January 9th. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Jaguars right now, like, literally there's just no fight. Like, you put up zero points this week. Um, like you said, uh, I didn't even know Marvin Jones storming out of practice not a good sign. I mean, he's honestly probably one of your best skill players also, if not, yeah, he's probably like a top three skill player. And I don't know, like there's little, like, there's just no signs of improvement with this team. They're literally just, it seems like they're kind of just like done with the season, almost just going through the type motions. And Hey, I mean, la the last four games were played and I mean, they played the Texans and the Jets. I mean, it's two bad teams. Like, just show some signs. I'm, like, if you go out there and lose to both those teams, um, like, and do absolutely nothing, that's a terrible look for your team. But, I don't know, I just think this, this Jaguars team, like I said, like, they've just shown kind of like a lifeless squad out there. And it shouldn't be when you have um, – I know it's not that simple, but, like, you got a lot of young players on offense. They should be, sh like, having more – fighting them more energy type like the jets are a bad team but i think like robert salad definitely has his team for sure fighting harder than the jackson jaguars seem to be doing right now so yeah I, I i don't know i think like you said it's tough to fire a guy after one year but i just think on a scale one to ten how would you grade like this season for urban meyer and honestly give it like a zero i think it's been that bad for the jaguars and urban meyer yeah, and if you want to, like, even look outside of the things for Urban Meyer, I mean, if the guy would have just not even taken the Jaguars job, I mean, he probably either walks into the USC job, the Notre Dame job, or the LSU job in college, which, if you ask me, are three of the top, 
I don't know, six jobs in college football. So kind of missed out on that. But yeah, for Urban Meyer right now in the NFL, obviously a lot of the reports, I don't, he's going to get to the end of the season if you ask me. These four games dictate what the Jaguars' future will hold at that coaching position. If the Jaguars show a lot of fight down the stretch, you know what I mean? Maybe win one or two of those games. I know you mentioned they play the Texans and the Jets. I mean, you'd think that those are teams that the Jaguars should be able to at least compete with for sure. Then I think Urban Meyer stays and you get some promise for 2022. But if this team kind of rolls o- roll over and dies, it's almost kind of a signal uh, they don't want to play for this head coach. Let's maybe move on and let's try to get Trevor Lawrence some more help for 2022. Core, any other coaches that you think that their seat is pretty hot and potentially could be looking for new employment come the offseason? I mean, I think I think Matt Nagy. Um, with the Bears, probably, uh, probably time to pack it up. I think just like they've just been bad for – a pretty long time. I know no, I'm not, I can't say a long time. Like, yeah, they were in the playoffs a few years ago with um the double doink from Cody Parkey, but I'm talking about like rumors of Matt Nagy gone have just been lingering for so long. And I actually thought Justin Fields on um against the Packers looked pretty good. I think Justin Fields has a lot a lot of promise in him, but I don't know, I just think with what's with what's gone on with Matt Nagy, um this Bears team 4-9. I think this bear, honestly, like, I don't know. I might, maybe I sound kind of crazy. I think this Bears offense kind of has a little bit of promise in them. I think they got some decent skilled guys. I think Justin Fields is good, but I don't know. I think Matt Nagy, I know, I don't know if he, if he, if he, um, I know he gave up play calling last year. I don't know if he calls the plays now, but yeah, I, I would say, um, Matt Nagy, I think definitely, um, his time, I, I think he's definitely getting fired after this year and maybe, maybe, Matt Rule also. Um, I mean, he had Sam Darnold, but I don't know. I think I give Rule another year, but I think Nagy's definitely gone. Yeah, I think Matt Nagy. Obviously, the writing's kind of been on the wall with him, but I agree with you. I think Justin Fields honestly played his best game as a pro that night on Sunday Night Football against the Green Bay Packers. So, I mean, I know Chicago Bears fans, it seems like aren't really the biggest fans of Matt Nagy. You see all those videos of them chanting "Fire Nagy" at like Bulls games and stuff like that. But I mean. <laughs> If Justin Fields plays real well down the stretch, it might talk ownership and to be like, all right, maybe we should stay with Matt Nagy this year because of the growth that Justin Fields at least showed from week one to week 18. So definitely something to keep an eye on. I agree with you with Matt Rule. You bring up uh, the Panthers. I mean, they started 3-0 and and they've really fell off and they haven't been able to get the quarterback position right at all. They fired Joe Brady, and their offense still just isn't it. They were sloppy this past week on offense. I know they were going back and forth between Cam Newton and P.J. Walker as well. Um, and it, it, if you ask me, it would be more of the sense of they moved down from Teddy Bridgewater this past offseason. I think we both thought like that that was the smart move. And I think that we were both kind of like in the sense that Teddy Bridgewater won't win you a Super Bowl or really even win you a playoff game, but maybe Sam Darnold will. I think maybe this is kind of like the consequences of that. I know we were kind of on the side of like, why not swing for the fences? I mean, potentially it could cost Matt Matt Rule his job. So if they had Teddy Bridgewater, I think they're a better team. Do I still think they're winning a playoff game with Teddy Bridgewater? Absolutely not. Yeah, Mike, like, you know what I mean? So I don't think people should be like, oh, well, because Matt Rule traded Teddy Bridgewater, uh, he should, whatchamacallit, he should get fired for that. So I think that's a little extreme. And my guy Joe Judge, I think my guy Joe Judge also, depending on how the Giants finish out these past four, these next four games, I think that he could potentially, I think he is, his seat is a little warm and he could potentially be fired. Um, yeah, I know they've had dealt with a lot of injuries, obviously, especially now at the quarterback position with Daniel Jones. But uh, just the regression, if you ask me, from year one to year two and some of the flat out embarrassments that they put out on the field. I know this week they got absolutely smoked by the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, you watch that game. It's just like it was ugly. I mean, but Justin Herbert, I did want to mention this at one point, made one of the most unbelievable throws I've ever seen. I mean, my jaw was on the absolute floor that somebody could make that throw. I don't know if they, it was to Guyton for the touchdown. Like, they were running an unbelievable throw, one of the best I've ever seen. But uh, the only other guy I had really on here was David Culley, the head coach of the Houston Texans, just because they've been really bad this year. But, I mean, there's no reason if you ask me to fire him. Like, I don't know. I threw him, I threw him in there, though. But I, I, think he, I think he's all right. I think he definitely should get another year. But, Core, with all of that being said, we are finally moving into our game picks for Week 15. And hopefully all 16 games are able to kick off, Core, because COVID is back in the NFL. I mean, Monday and Tuesday were the two highest testing days so far of the NFL season. It's been a lot of teams are dealing with it. I mean, it'd be a shame for the season to at any point have to get postponed. Obviously, it's bigger than football. I understand. But um, 
yeah, man, we're just close to the finish line. It's kind of just like finish. You know, you get a little nervous if you ask me right now, seeing all these positive tests come back, all these players potentially being out and stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely curious to see what the future holds and uh, if all 16 games are even able to kick off this week. Yeah, I know the Browns got a ton of guys in um, health and safety protocols. So, yeah, I mean, as a fan, I know it's, like you said, it's bigger than uh, football, but definitely just hoping that they could pull through um, and get this done. I don't know, like, the what the rules are for, like, when you're in protocols and stuff, but I don't know. It's, it's happened in all sports, um, NBA, NHL. Um, yeah, I know, like, in Toronto, actually, I think they're, I don't know if you saw, like, they're, like, they changed it from 100, they're, like, the first team I've seen, like, yep. they've changed 100% capacity to 50% capacity, which kind of something, like, I really don't want to see, because, I mean, if looking at sports this year with fans back compared to, like, last year when there were no fans, it is actually just such a different game, like, major upgrade, so... Something I definitely don't want to see, and hopefully they can figure that out. Or just, like, say yeah. the players are safe, yeah. I hope so. I hope that uh, the NFL offices, yep, the Roger Goodell obviously led leading those efforts, can figure something out, and hopefully that we can have a safe finish to the NFL season. With that being said, Corey, we got a couple games to preview. Let's get right into it with the Thursday night football game, an AFC West battle. Winner of this game takes possession of first place in the AFC West. we got the Kansas City Chiefs, three-point favorites, traveling to Los Angeles to play the Chargers. Core, earlier in the year, the Chargers, those aggressive Chargers were going for it on fourth down to seal victories and stuff like that. They were able to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs since then, obviously, like I said, have won six straight games. The Chargers are a team normally plays pretty well with the Chiefs. I remember Thursday Night Football a couple years ago. They beat the Chiefs on Thursday Night Football. Uh, Mike Williams, I think, went for three touchdowns in this game. Just a fun note on that. But uh, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs here. Uh, the three-point favorites, I'm going to take them to cover and to ultimately, of course, win the game. I just think that right now you're just not stopping the Chiefs. It just seems like they're back in that mode where it's like flip the switch uh, and we can play with anybody. The switch is on. I think this Chargers team is good. I just think, like I said, Kansas City is a better football team all around than the Los Angeles Chargers. So I'm going to go with Kansas City minus 30. I think, again, they remind people again on primetime that they are one of the best teams in football. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a big game. Um, Chargers win this game. They're in first place in the division. So, I, don't know, I think this is going to be a close game. I think Justin Herbert is an absolute superstar. I think he continues to ball out, even though the uh, Chiefs defense has been good. I don't know. I'm honestly going to I think it's going to be kind of a shootout, honestly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this game's in the 30s and minus three. I think the Chiefs win this game. I think it's definitely one possession game. I'm honestly going to – I think the Chiefs win this game. I think it comes down to a field goal. I think the Chiefs end up winning by three points. So I'm honestly going to go with a push. I I, I think this is going to be – I'll take Chiefs obviously to win outright. I think it's going to be a really close game. So I think the Chiefs win this game. I'll give you an exact score. I think they win it around – 34 to 31. That's that's my that's my prediction. Yeah, I mean you would you would hate to see this game be like 13 to 10, right? I mean these are two teams that are built very similarly on the offensive side of the ball. They want to score points and they want to score points fast. So hopefully we can see that on Thursday night. Should be a real good one in Los Angeles. Core, we'll move on to a Saturday game. I love these December mid-late December stuff. You know, what I mean they sprinkle a couple games in on Saturday. We got the Patriots traveling to Indianapolis by the Colts. Colts are two and a half point favorites here. I mean, what, the Patriots have won seven straight games? I think they have, and they're underdogs in this game. Definitely makes you all raise an eyebrow. But if you ask me, two teams who are built very similarly, like to lean on the run game offensively and they're good defense. Both of these teams actually coming off a of bye week. I'm going to ride with the Colts here. I'll take them minus two and a half here. I just think they're overall more talented than this Patriots team. I think Jonathan Taylor has potential to go crazy on a good New England defense. And yeah, listen, Carson Wentz, if, again, Say what you want about him. He's played a lot more in rhythm this year. I think, it's again, it's going to be a close game. I think potentially could come down to three points. But even with that, I'm going to go with the Colts here. I just think that um, I think they're a better football team overall than the Patriots. I think they're more talented, I should say, than the Patriots. I think the Patriots are definitely more in a rhythm, definitely a little more hotter. But the, the Colts, I mean, if you take out some of their early losses, I mean, they are, if you ask me, I think they're the most slept on team in all of, the, in all of national football. So I, I'm going to go with the Colts there. Yeah, I mean, I am on the Colts bandwagon. I've been – I wasn't really on it to start, but I, this is a team certainly 
hitting their stride over um more than the last couple of weeks. It's been, it's been probably like a month or two since they've been hitting their stride. And like you said, these two teams built pretty similar. And I mean, Jonathan Taylor is, I mean, the guy is just an offensive superstar. So I think um, New England, as good as their defense is, like I can't see you stopping um, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Carson Wentz has done good, but yeah, I think it's another game. Like they lean on Jonathan Taylor and, I th- yeah, I think this is going to be a really good game between two playoff teams, but I'm going to side with the home team here. I'm going to take the Colts minus two and a half. I think the Pats, um, they, they get their due for a loss. That's just honestly how I'm thinking about it. I think um, when you look at it, I think the run game I'm giving to the Colts, and I'm taking um, Carson Wentz over Mac Jones right now, and both defenses are good. Probably give the advantage a little bit to the Pats, but I think overall at home, I think the Colts minus two and a half cover. All right, moving on to a game that definitely will be, if you ask me, one of the best games of the weekend. The Green Bay Packers are five-and-a-half-point favorites traveling to Baltimore to play the Ravens. Now, the big one in this one will be Lamar Jackson's availability. He left last week's game with an injury. I believe it was a high ankle. Uh, what, what was it? it was sprained ankle, high ankle sprain? I don't know exactly it what it is. I'm not a doctor here. But they're, yeah, they're saying he should like, – Core, I know, I know you're going to be uh, definitely on your edge of your seat there, Core, for everybody listen, who's listening. Lamar Jackson, fantasy owner in his playoffs, so he definitely wants Lamar to go in this one. But, yeah, Packers five-and-a-half-point favorites. Hopefully, I'm going to go with the fact that Lamar will be out there playing. Listen, I think this Baltimore Ravens team has, like, leaned on Lamar, but last week they definitely showed me something, too. They went down early in that game big to the Cleveland Browns and they could have easily quit in that one but they fought all the way back really almost won that game and then Tyler Huntley was sacked late or they or wasn't able to get the fourth down conversion late in that game excuse me but this Green Bay Packers team again is they're neck and neck if you ask me with Tampa Bay for the best team in really you could say all of the National Football League they are unbelievable they're clicking on all cylinders even on uh, Sunday night, Aaron Rodgers kind of reminded everybody again why he what is the reigning MVP. I mean, some of the throws that this guy makes are just effortless. Five and a half points, I think, is a little too much on the road. So I'm going to take the Packers to win, but I will take the Baltimore Ravens to cover those five and a half points pending that Lamar Jackson's playing. If Lamar Jackson's playing, I'm sure this line isn't – if Lamar Jackson isn't playing, this line will probably shoot up to like eight and a half, nine and a half, and I would even jump ship and I'd go with the Green Bay Packers. But with Lamar out there, a Ravens team that lives to play close games, I'm going to go go with the Ravens to cover, but the Packers ultimately to win this one. I just think they're much more complete team than the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, the Ravens, like I've said, I kind of don't think they're really like, I wouldn't put them as a contender anymore in the AFC. Like I can't see the Ravens winning the Mm -hmm. AFC, but the thing about the Ravens though, I'll give it to them. They do have a lot of fight in them. And I think this will be a close game somehow. I don't know. Like they just managed to play close games against most of the opponents that they play. So with or without Lamar, if this line shot up to eight and a half, nine and a half, and um, Tyler Hunley's playing, I'm still taking the Ravens cover the spread. I think this will be a close game. I think the Packers come out on top either way, but I'll take the, I'll take the Ravens plus five and a half if Lamar's playing or if Tyler Huntley's playing. I think somehow it's a close game despite all the injuries. So, yeah, I think the Packers win, but I'll take the Ravens cover the spread. All right, fair point, and this is going to bring us into the rest of our picks for the Sunday slate. I'll lead mine off first. The Browns at home, I will take them plus one and a half and to ultimately win the game. I know they're dealing with a lot of COVID issues, so that potentially could change. Basically, their whole offensive line, I know Baker Mayfield, even in the COVID protocol, too. So definitely keep an eye out for that before you're picking that one. I'll take the Giants plus ten and a half and to win the game. I will never take the Dallas Cowboys over the New York Giants, as bad as the Giants might be. That's all the reasoning I need. Bills, I'll take minus 10.5 at home against the Carolina Panthers. This is such a get-right spot for the Bills. I think they can potentially win this game big. I'll take the Cardinals minus 13 over the Detroit Lions in Detroit. I'll take the Dolphins minus 10 over the Jets uh, in Miami. Washington, another team dealing with a lot of COVID issues. I'll take them plus seven, but I'll ultimately take Philadelphia to win the game at home. I'll take the Steelers plus one and a half and to win the game against the Titans. I think the Titans, like I've always been saying, aren't a very good team. Steelers just lost a heartbreaker on Thursday night football. I'll back them. I'll take the Texans plus three and a half in a money line. I will not take the Jaguars to late points. And I ultimately, I just think the Texans have shown that they have more fight in them. So I'll go with the Texans to win that game. I'll take the Broncos minus two and a half against the Bengals in Denver. I just think that the Broncos, Denver's a tough place to play. And they do a lot of things right that will make 
Cincinnati it will give Cincinnati fits, especially in their pass coverage and stuff like that. A couple of weeks ago, Justin Herbert had a little bit of trouble with them. I think Joe Burrow potentially might struggle with them, and the Broncos could potentially get a huge win for their playoff implications. I'll take the Falcons plus nine, but the 49ers to win the game there. I'll take the Rams minus four and a half, even though they're also dealing with a bunch of COVID stuff. Uh, two more games I got the Sunday night game. I'll take the Saints to cover, but I'll ultimately take Tom Brady to get his first win as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer against the Saints in the regular season. And then I'll take the Vikings to win the game, but the Bears plus three and a half on Monday night football in Chicago. Yeah, pal, I'm looking at this slate right now, and I don't know. There honestly looks like there's a lot of uh, comfortable picks to potentially, um, you know, I don't know, like these picks – don't look as difficult as they usually do. But, yeah, I mean, Browns, I'm going to take the Browns at home. Despite all the COVID um, things they got, I'll take them plus one and a half to win the game outright. Uh, Giants, I'll take them plus ten and a half. But I think the Cowboys win this game. Said earlier, I think the Bills um, dismantle the Panthers at home. Bills Mafia, I think, returns. Definitely taking the Bills minus ten and a half. Cardinals, Lions, I mean... That's a lot of points. So I'll take the Lions plus 13, but I think the Cardinals win the game. Jets, Dolphins. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I can't really back the Jets right now. I think the Dolphins minus 10. They're playing really good football right now, so I'll ride with them there. Um, Washington versus the Eagles. I think Washington keeps this game relatively close, but yeah, I think the Eagles with all the stuff that Washington's going on with, I think they win the game. Steelers, Titans. I mean, I'm in agreement also. Like, I think this line, I don't know, I think the Steelers, the Titans really are, I don't think they're that good of a team right now without Derrick Henry, so I'll take um, Steelers plus one and a half to win the game outright. Texans, Jags, I mean, how is Vegas making this line minus three and a half? Like, if anything, it should be like minus one and a half, but maybe they know, but I'll fall for the Texans trap if it's a trap, so I'll take Texans to win this game outright. Broncos, I mean, I'm, I'm I think the Broncos at home, just a, they're they're honestly kind of a tough team to beat. Um, their defense does um, present some problems, so I'll take them minus two and a half. I'll take the Niners minus nine at home against the Falcons. Give me the Rams minus four and a half at home against the Seahawks. Bucks versus Saints. I mean, eleven points is a lot, even though it's in Tampa. I'll take the Saints plus eleven, but the Bucks to win the game. And then on Monday Night Football, I mean, I think this game is within a field goal, so. I'll take the Bears plus three and a half, but the Vikings to ultimately win the game. Because the Vikings refuse to play anything but a close game in the <laughs> 2021 NFL season. But I agree with you, of course. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Sometimes you see the picks that were making before, and I'm like, wow, man, I might like, I might not get one. I don't know. I'm just kind of, I feel like I saw, I'm seeing it pretty good this week. And if, you, if you're picking the Texans and the Jaguars game, please find something better to do with your Sunday. I hope, <laughs> man. That, that is a tough one. You get a couple of them every NFL season. That is a tough one to have I to think watch. Gotta but be listen, Texans for bust though. Like, yeah, that's that's very fair. And for those dedicated Jet Texans and Jaguar fans, listen, this is your week. All right, I don't care which side you are. This is your week for your team to showcase and uh, win a football game. So hopefully they're able to do that, whichever side you're on. But moving on to the our college football core it was kind of an idle week. You had the Army Navy game, of course, but. You also had the Heisman ceremony, so we'll go with that first. Bryce Young wins the Heisman core. Surprise, we're not, of course. Uh, Back-to-back, obviously, with his Alabama teammate, Devonta Smith. Again, well-deserved. We've talked about it so much that we'll keep it brief here. But, yeah, Bryce Young wins the Heisman core. I I don't know if you saw the the, uh, ceremony, but uh, Desmond Howard was poking a little fun, too, at C.J. Stroud with Aiden Hutchinson. But, uh, yeah, yeah, what what a drag-out process when they could have just – everybody in America knew that Bryce Young was winning this one. Yeah, I mean, I started watching it, like, a little bit. I saw, like, they brought up, like, Tim Tebow and uh, Desmond Howard and, like, RG3 asking these guys questions. And I'm like, I'm just – just announced that Bryce Young won the Heisman. I was kind of surprised. CJ Stroud finished fourth in the voting? I don't know if I'm right on that. I thought – Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. I think that's kind of a surprise. I mean – to be honest, second place is really just the first loser, so it's not that big a deal. But, yeah, I mean, Bryce Young, obviously no surprise for him to win this Heisman, well-deserved. And, yeah, I mean, he's probably got bigger things on his mind with hopes of um 
going in that go winning a national championship. But I mean, for now, I definitely can enjoy that and definitely well deserved. Yeah, listen, this is the fourth Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama since ever, and it's the fourth one since Nick Saban's even been there. You had Mark Ingram back in the 2008-2009 it was, then Derrick Henry, then 2014 or 2015 Derrick Henry won it. Obviously, Devonta Smith last year, and then Bryce Young this year, so good for them. And, of course, with Nick Saban, one of the greatest coaches in college football history, no surprise that he's brought all that success over. Of course, staying at the quarterback position, I mean, the transfer portal has been going crazy. What an awesome offseason it's been for college football. I mean, definitely relatively new, if you want to say, to the landscape, if you want to say, you know what I mean? We don't go back 15 years remembering all these moves and stuff like that. But, I mean, just looking at all the coaching changes, looking at all the transfers and stuff like that, it's been chaos. I mean, by far the craziest I can remember. I'd love to, whatchamacallit, look more into it, looking back at more other off-seasons and stuff like that. Corey, I guess we'll start with the big fish here. Spencer Rattler is transferring to South Carolina. Shane Beamer is the head coach over there. He used to be the play caller at or not the play caller, but he used to be an offensive coach at Oklahoma. So definitely some familiarity there. I think it's a really good get for South Carolina and a good opportunity for Spencer Rattler to go somewhere that somebody already knows him. He knows what he wants to do offensively and really get right back on track. Because I think if Spencer Rattler has a good season in 2022, he catapults himself right back up to a first round pick, if you ask me. Yes, he struggled with Lincoln Riley, which I mean, how almost? In 2021, you know what I mean? A lot of people would be like, if you can't succeed with Lincoln Riley, you're not going to be able to succeed anywhere. But I don't know. Listen, the kid is immensely talented. He's going to a place, like I said, South Carolina in the SEC, where you're still playing top-notch competition week in and week out. So, uh, yeah, this is a spot for him to really get right and potentially alter his uh, future. And so hopefully, for his sake, get back into NFL draft conversations. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like the move to um... – I didn't even know he had someone um, who was calling plays who used to beat Oklahoma. But, I mean, for Spencer Rattler, I mean, South Carolina obviously is in the SEC. They get – um, I mean, they were better probably like five years ago. Uh, kind of fell off a little bit. But I think for him to go to a school who's obviously in that, like the best division in football and um, maybe like a lower type tier – team in that division I think is um, really good for him he can go out there it's not like it's like Alabama Oklahoma he's not at one of those type schools anymore so I'm not saying he's gonna live under the radar but I mean I don't know how to describe it just like I think going to a school like that's definitely cool I mean he definitely allows himself to revive himself pretty much and go out and ball in South Carolina who obviously like, like yeah, they're they're like in a top conference and but they've kind of fell off a little bit. So I don't know. I kind of lo- I kind of like that to go to a school like that. He didn't choose like a like a top school. So I don't know. I'm kind of rooting for Spencer Rather. And like you said, if he uh, has a good year, I mean, he definitely will put himself right back in to um, draft boards and everything like that. Because his name is Spencer Rattler and he was once like the top player in the country. But yeah, I definitely like the move going to uh, a school like a South Carolina, like a team, like another school like Arkansas, like a team like that, just like teams in the SEC. I know they're in different size on the SEC, but I I, I like the move, honestly. Yeah, I agree with you when you say that, something like that. Like, I know another school that he was, like, pretty high on his list was, like, UCLA, but I agree. I think you can kind of, like, hide more, in a sense, at South Carolina. You know what I mean? Not as much pressure, but you're still going to get that top-notch competition week in and week out. Obviously, getting A1 facilities, of course, like that, because they are an SEC school and stuff like that. So, yeah, I thought it was a good decision. He also brought another five-star, former five-star recruit with him. I can't remember the guy's name from Oklahoma. He's, like, a wide receiver as well. Maybe they can make a little bit of noise. They were 6-6 six and six this year in Beamer's first season as the head coach, so who knows. Core moving on to another big transfer quarterback, Quinn Ewers, the one of the highest ever quarterbacks graded coming out of high school. He goes to all, he reclassifies, goes to Ohio State, makes over like a million dollars in NIL money, and then is like, you know what? But he played like two snaps at Ohio State this year. He's like, you know what? I want to go back to my hometown. I want to go back to Texas, and ends up going to the University of Texas, transferring to, to be Steve Sarkeesian's presumptively future quarterback there. Uh, listen, again, I like the move for him. I mean, unbelievable decision. To, imagine, Core, instead of being a senior in high school, you just got paid over a million dollars to 
really have like you know what I mean? Like it was unbelievable. Kids like, living the dream. Now he's just going back to Texas. He's gonna have B. John Robinson next to him in the backfield, and uh, hopefully a lot of success upcoming for him. Because I mean, from what I've seen of the kid, he looks immensely talented. He's got unbelievable hair. So uh, yeah, hopefully for Quinn Ewers' sake, he can uh, finally get on the field and um, succeed at Texas. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously Quinn Ewers, top five star recruit out of um high school goes to Ohio State like I always think about that like you think about how many people relative to our age are just making an insane amount of money it's actually it's actually pretty wild just to see like people are like 20 years old 19 years old they're just making so much money it, I don't know it's, I find it pretty crazy but I mean you got to say the biggest loser here my guy Casey Thompson He's just uh, I don't know. He he's not in the transfer portal, is he? You know. He not yet. I'm. I, I, I mean, he's probably gonna be he enters it. Yeah, I mean, he had a decent season. I mean, I know the team didn't really have a good season, but he had a pretty good season in Texas. But uh, he's definitely Quinn Ewers. I mean, I don't think this guy's transferring to his hometown to to be a backup unless he he sells and he and he loses the job early on if Casey Thompson stays, but. Yeah, I mean, Quinn Ewers coming home. I mean, if you're Texas right now with um, Sarkeesian, to bring in a five-star like that, definitely a um, a big move. And they, ha- I guess you got to move on from from Casey Thompson if you're if you're bringing in a five-star like that. So I mean, good uh, good get by Texas. And I mean, Quinn Ewers obviously a talented guy. So I'm um, looking forward to see what he can do. Yeah, listen, another quarterback who also made their decision along with Spencer Rattler and Quinn Ewers. Would be Michael Penix Jr. Corey, your guy from Indiana. He's transferring to Washington. A lot of injuries really through his career at Indiana this past season as well. Got hurt. Hoping for the best for him. I know obviously they kind of Indiana, if you ask me, kind of like had a Cinderella run, if you ask me, in 2020. Not saying that they were like relatively like real impressive, but you know what I mean? They were ranked at one point like I think in like the top 15. or I don't think they squeezed top 10 at any. Maybe they did squeeze top 10 at some point. But listen, whatever okay. the case may be. Hopefully for Michael Penix, you know what I mean? He could kind of relive some of that 2020 magic and stay on the field because that kid is electric with the football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Michael Penix, obviously, the lefty in 2020. I mean, I thought he was um obviously had a good season. I know he had like one really good game against um Michigan in 2020. But yeah, I mean, 2021 um obviously wasn't the same. I know um he's coming off a torn ACL and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing about when you're these type of college players, you get to just decide to just hop in a transfer portal, be on scholarship regardless, just go to, like, it's just, I think that's kind of living the dream at this age. Like, you just go from, the dude's from Florida. He's just like, I'm at Indiana. I'm just going to ship it out. Let's go to Washington. Like, it's just cool to travel the world like that. So, hey, I'm rooting for Michael Penix. Hopefully he could, uh, he could light up the Pac-12. Hey, bring Washington back to the uh, to the college football playoff. Hopefully, Michael Penix could do that. Not counting on it, but you know, I'm I'm rooting for the guy. So yeah, that's about it. Yeah, they got a new head coach over there. He's from Fresno State. I'm blanking on the name, but uh, he watched him call it. Had had Fresno State real good this year. So hopefully for their success in Michael Penix's future. Core though, those guys have made their decision. There are a bunch of other guys who have not. I mean. The college quarterback transfer portal, if you ask me, is absolutely loaded. You got Bo Nix from Auburn, Max Johnson from LSU, Dylan Gabriel from UCF, Keenan Slovis from USC, Adrian Martinez from Nebraska, and most recently, Emory Jones from Florida. I mean, any of these guys to you really stick out that you're like, it's kind of the best of the bunch or really surprising, at least, that they're transferring? I mean, a lot of these are just big time names. I'm kind of surprised that a lot of these guys, honestly, are transferring like I'm pretty surprised Bo Nix is um is out of Auburn. I mean he was the man, like he, he was the guy at Auburn. I mean Keaton Slovis also. Maybe these guys want to go. I think if these guys are transferring, like they were the guy at their respective school. So I mean Dylan Gabriel also was good at UCF. I think he might, did he get hurt? I think he got hurt this year, but yeah he did. Yeah yeah I don't know. I think those guys if. I mean, Emory Jones, obviously, another talent, but Bo Nix and Keaton Slovis, like, these guys, I mean, Bo Nix, obviously, a five-star. Keaton Slovis was supposed to be, like, a top 
top pick. But, yeah, I think these guys, I don't know where they're going to transfer to, but I would expect, like, maybe they want to win. I don't know how important winning is to them because they were, like, they're both QB1s at their, at, like, Auburn and USC. So, I don't know, that kind of surprises me. Maybe they want to go win. But, yeah, those two guys kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, listen, I'm not, like, when new coaches, obviously the coaching carousel gets crazy and stuff like that, and they come in, uh, they want their own guy at the quarterback position, a lot of them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Keaton Slove is definitely facing an uphill battle, if you ask me, at USC with Jackson Dart already being there, a five-star recruit, and then whoever Lincoln Riley may want to even bring in, like maybe a Caleb Williams potentially. Oh, so yeah. I, 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 under, I understand something like that, why he could be on the move. But yeah, Keaton Slovis, I mean, was one of my like longer shots. I was like, take that to win the Heisman. I don't think he'll win it. But I think he could potentially be a long shot. He had a very tough year, couldn't stay healthy to really uh, ultimately Jackson Dart ended up taking a lot of the snaps at quarterback for them. So yeah, Dylan Gabriel's a guy who really enticed me. He's had to put up some huge numbers at UCF in his career. I'd love to see him potentially take over a job somewhere. But, yeah, if you need a quarterback, if your quarterback's leaving like Pitt, losing Kenny Pickett, obviously, Ole Miss losing Matt Corral. I mean, there are a lot of guys who could potentially fill the role that you need at the quarterback position, guys who have had experience. Bo Nix, too, if you ask me. Yeah, it just seemed like he was Auburn at football. So for him to be on the move, potentially, there there are a lot of coaches who, if you want a quarterback with some experience, go get one and stuff like that. So hopefully these guys can find homes where they can go compete. They can be the best player that they can be and uh, more success than they could even imagine. Core, right before we wrap up, I kind of just want to mention a couple more things. Uh, National Signing Day was today. We're recording it on Wednesday the 15th. So the biggest recruit, uh, number one top recruit, Travis Hunter, he decommitted from FSU today and committed to Jackson State, which plays at the FCS level there in HBCU College. So for Deion Sanders, the head coach there, an unbelievable get. I'm happy that these recruits are really kind of branching out and really want to own the HBCU title and stuff like that. So good for Travis Hunter. And uh, Deion Sanders, a guy who got passed up for the Florida State job a couple years ago, uh, kind of gets a little bit of revenge here. Yeah, I mean, um, Deion Sanders, um, obviously FSU is alma mater. But, yeah, I mean, to be at an HBCU and to be able to recruit and um, reel in the second-best player in the country, I mean, that definitely speaks words to his ability to recruit. And I think also, like – players choosing an HBCU, I think, is um is uh really cool. I, I I'm I'm curious to see if guys are gonna follow in his direction. I think obviously like it's cool, but I don't want. I'm not even saying that. Like I, if these guys are on TV, yeah. But I mean, I it's cool to see, but obviously guys are like, you want to see like top guys play at the top schools, but I like a quarterback. Almost, like probably like a quarterback, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's just cool to see a guy, number two uh, player in the country, choose Jackson State. I know last year in the draft, there were zero players from um, an HBCU, so maybe this guy trying to change the narrative when his time's up if he stays here. So um, good get by um, Deion Sanders, and definitely um, cool to see, and I'm curious to see how he balls out. Yeah, listen, the more, the better recruits they get, the better these programs are built up. I'm sure the attention and the notoriety that they will get from media outlets will be what it should be. You know what I mean? What equal to some of those, maybe not exactly equal to some of those, the top schools in the country, but definitely more like what they should and what they deserve. Core, there are a couple bowl games coming up this week. We're not going to make picks on them. We're not going to really preview them. There are a couple that definitely catch my eye. If you ask me one game that I'll definitely be looking at, Bailey Zapp potentially breaking Joe Burrow's record for passing yards and touchdowns in the bowl game against Appalachian State. Bailey Zapp is the quarterback for Western Kentucky. They'll face off there. Uh, he needs like 100-something yards and four touchdowns. I mean, like I said, it would be one of the quietest records like that was broken, if you ask me, this season. Not a lot of people are talking about it. So I'm definitely curious to see if he could get that. Another game, if you ask me, that is of interest for teams that potentially need a quarterback in the 2022 NFL Draft, Malik Willis. Quarterback for Liberty plays this weekend against Eastern Michigan. So definitely a big showcase game potentially for him if he's going to go in that one to uh, raise his draft stock and stuff like that. But like I said, there are a couple bowl games coming up this week. Not, you know what I mean? Listen, for the for deep college football guys, I love to watch them. You know what I mean? We watch some of them. But uh, definitely 
and then in the upcoming weeks, you'll get some of the ones with uh, the bigger names and the bigger brands and stuff like that. And of course, we will preview those ones. But uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Core, anything you want to leave off with? No, nah, I mean, it's the same old. Um, uh, I think this, t- this game tomorrow definitely going to be a really good game between Chargers and the, and the Chiefs. But yeah, besides that, I think this week of NFL should be, I mean, there's a lot of good games. So yeah, I mean, that's about it. And yeah, everyone have have a good one who's listening. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, listen, I've been I've been throwing it around the term game of the year. It seems like on this podcast once every other week, but Chiefs Chargers on Thursday night football definitely has a chance to be one. So you definitely don't want to miss that one. That's gonna do it for today's episode. Be sure to check us out on the Instagram at the Deep Ball underscore. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.